this book was initially banned. Church officials really campaigned against this book because I don't want to reveal the twist. I'm sorry. Am I selling this at all? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 152. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. This is a show where we celebrate the delights and dilemmas of the reading life, which is exactly what I do in my new book, I'd Rather Be Reading, just out September 4th from Baker Books. Readers, thanks so much for your support here. I so appreciate you reading it, sharing it, checking it out of your library, and buying it for your bookish friends. At book signings this fall, some of you have brought me two, four, seven, even ten copies to sign all at once because you bought copies for all your reading buddies. I appreciate that so much. Readers, when you pick up a copy of I'd Rather Be Reading, or 10 of them if you're buying for your whole book club, you truly do support the show and the work I'm doing here. If you've read it and enjoyed it, leaving a review would be much appreciated because your fellow readers rely on them when they're deciding what they should read next. I so appreciate you reading, sharing, and spreading the word about I'd Rather Be Reading. Readers, I would love to meet you and tell you thank you in person. Come see me on my book tour. This week I'm in Texas, then it's on to Colorado, the West Coast, Nashville, and Cincinnati. My full schedule is at annbogle.com slash events. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L dot com slash events. Readers, thanks so much for your support here. It's definitely been a delight of my reading life this fall. Readers, on our recent Ask Me Anything episode, I got lots of questions about recommending books for kids. When it comes to children's recs, I rely on people who know children's books, and Literati Kids sure does. Literati Kids is a book club subscription that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month, handpicked by experts. They tailor each box with age-appropriate selections for children aged 0 to 12, and around themes like mystery, adventure, and history. My 10-year-old loved his Literati box and found several new favorite authors among their personalized selections. In addition to the books your child receives, receives artwork from world-renowned artists, personalized stickers, and other fun goodies in each monthly box. Go to literati.com slash readnext for 25% off your first two orders and pick your kids' book club today. Remember, no one else has kids' book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash readnext can you get 25% off your first two orders and receive five incredible kids' books curated by experts delivered to your door every month. That's literati.com slash readnext. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ, R-E-A-D, at madison-reed-r-e-e-d.com. Now for today's guest. Readers, brace yourselves, because today's episode is a serious TBR filler. My guest, Elham Ali, is flipping the script and recommending some Canadian literature to me based on my own beloved titles. But turnabout is fair play, and I'm not letting her leave without some of my favorite canlit recommendations. We're taking a bookish road trip around the Great White North, dishing juicy book marketing gossip, reveling in Elham's favorite literary sin, and much, much more. 
In fact, we talk so much that some of my favorite stories of Elham's had to be cut for time. So today, stick around until after the credits to hear one last clip about Elham meeting an unexpected reading hero on the bus. It's so good, you do not want to miss it. But no more waiting, let's get to it. Elham, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne, I'm so excited to be here. Would you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I actually work in publishing. I live in Toronto up in Canada. I've been in publishing for just a couple of years, so I'm pretty new to the industry. And I do work on the marketing side, not the editing side. I've been a reader my whole life. So now I was like, the perfect thing, the natural thing for me to do is to work in books. Elham, what does it mean to work on the marketing side of publishing? What kinds of things do you do when you're at work? Specifically, I should have said I'm a publicist. So I mainly do media relations for my authors. And I basically kind of just get to promote books all the time. When I was applying for jobs in publishing, I did an application once where the online application said, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. What I wrote was, I've come to realize that my dream job is one where I get to talk about books all the time and people have to listen to me. <laughs> Are those the people that hired you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy in my job now. I really love it. Word on the street from the people I know in publishing is that they could fill every job opening a hundred times over. I hear it's very competitive because there are so many people who love books and would love to make that their day job as well. Incredibly competitive, especially in Canada. The Canadian publishing like scene is very small, the industry. There's so many programs and so many people kind of coming out of it that it's just, it's really hard to get like a foot in the door. So I did my publishing degree in like 2015 and it took me two years to actually get a job in publishing. I did other work in, still in marketing and sort of kind of used it as an opportunity to gain experience. But you kind of have to know the right people. It's one of those, admittedly, it's one of those scenes. Does anybody ever leave once they get in? There are some lifers in this industry, let me tell you. I feel like publishing in general is a job that you really have to love. What do you have in mind when you say that? It doesn't pay well. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. You're in it for the books. I'm 100% in it for the books. Despite being in it for the books, I heard that you went through quite a reading slump in the not-too-distant past. An enormous reading slump. So when I was in university, I majored in English. Like, it doesn't make you hate reading. It's just, it's like sandpaper on your skin when you open a book. Oh, that's what it felt like for me, to be completely honest. So I majored in English, but I was also majoring in history, which was like a really heavy reading course. And I was also minoring in Near and Middle Eastern studies because my other secret passion is Egyptology. So just for fun, I decided to take all these Egyptology courses. It became so difficult to enjoy reading after that. And even after I finished my degree, I would open up a book and just wouldn't feel that connection. Like I've been a reader my whole life and I felt like I really connected with books. I was always happy when I was reading a book, when I had a book in my hand and all of a sudden they just, they didn't make me happy anymore. It's just, it was so upsetting. I tried, but I also found that I just wasn't enjoying anything. I hated pretty much everything I read for a good year. And then I discovered your podcast. Honestly, what should I read next really helped me get back into it and helped me to love reading again. And it got to the point where I was like, I'm listening to people talk about books all the time. Maybe I should actually start reading again. 
And in 2017, I set a reading goal for myself for the first time. I decided to read 25 books in a year and I ended up reading like 47. Oh, wow. What was different though? Because it's still you and you clearly haven't given up if you're listening to other people talk about books, but do you have any idea what changed in you? I feel like I was going with my gut a little bit. Like at the beginning of 2017, I really wanted to read romance books. I don't know why. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with it and I'm going to pick up romance books. Anything I don't like, instead of trying to force myself through it, I'm going to put it down and I'm going to find a better book. And that just, it makes reading feel good again. And I think having that goal really helped me. And I started tracking my reading and I think I might've had just like a, a bit of a cooling off period where I was far enough away from the horrors of undergrad. You gave yourself freedom to read what you wanted and it changed everything. It really did. I won't lie though, 2018 is not as easy as 2017 was. And that's why I need your help. Oh, the honeymoon's over. Oh, that's so sad. We will see what we can do. Do you feel that in the job you have where you are surrounded by books every day, although not necessarily the books you are choosing, not that they're bad, but they're not the ones that you automatically feel drawn to or that speak to something in you. They're the ones that land on your desk, right? Yeah. Does that have something to do with it? Working in marketing, it's not like editorial where you have to read everything that you are working on. You can skim through it and you you really want to get to know the book as much as possible, but you don't have to read every single thing. And it gives you a lot more freedom to read what you want. So in my last job, I really was reading whatever I wanted and it was great. But now I think I'm reading a lot more for work than I was before. I feel like that might be a little bit draining. If I'm being honest, I really hope none of my authors listen to us. <laughs> you said that you had an ulterior motive for wanting to be on the show. I do. I'm very sneaky. Listening to your podcast, like I obviously have so many fabulous book recommendations all the time. But one thing that I've been trying to do is to read more Canlit, like more Canadian books. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would love to be able to recommend some to Anne too. There are some really great ones. Everybody should know about these books. That's one of the beauties of reading is that feeling where you're like, I want to tell everybody about this book. I want to scream it to the high heavens. So I'm going to do that today if you'll let me. Oh, I am ready. I'm really impressed by the amount of research you've done. So you listened to episode 62. What should Anne read next? I don't remember what books I called favorites in that episode. What did I choose? So for your loves, you picked Gods in Alabama by Jocelyn Jackson. I did. How about that? I mean, I do. I really love that book. I don't remember picking it, but I stand by it. Your next pick was A Great Reckoning by Louise Penny. Mm -hmm. A Canadian author. Yes. Sorry, this is a quick aside. Working in Canadian publishing, we do a competition every year. It's called Pub Fight. It's like Fantasy League, but for publishers. You do it in-house. You create teams. You create your own league. And then... There's this third party organization called BookNet Canada. They do data analytics. And so you can go to them for like sales data and things like that. And so they send you a catalog of all the books that are coming out between September and December of that year. And you hold a fake auction in your office between the teams. You build a list of 10 books. You have $200,000 to spend. You kind of pick the ones that you think will sell the best. And between September and December, you use real-time sales data to kind of see who made the best bets. That sounds so much more interesting than Final Four or whatever you call it, March Madness. We're big basketball fans in my house, and this is way better, trust me. My team, I pushed them to pick the new Louise Penny book. I was like, Anne talks about it all the time. <laughs> I'm sure 
We spent a lot of our budget on that. That sounds like a good bet. I'm just going to leave it at that. So um, your third pick was Deep Work by Cal Newport. Really? These are the books I chose. Yeah. I mean, I really like all those books, but the genre that I naturally gravitate to the most is the, uh, the wistful, a little bit melancholy, lyrical, kind of poetic. I mean, I like my books to move. I like them to have a plot, but I have a lot of patience for a slow to develop story in the vein of Wendell Berry, Marilyn Robinson. I love the new um, Fatima Mirza, Kent Hariff, and goodness knows I've talked about crossing the safety enough on this podcast. So I imagine that I was trying to give some variety, which mm-hmm. I really did apparently. I'm kind of <laughs> proud of myself for branching out a little because I do know and love and enjoy a wide variety of genres. But if I have an hour to myself on a Saturday morning, which almost never happens, that's the kind of book I want to sit down with. That actually changes things. Those words that you use, like wistful, lyrical, poetic. I might end up recommending different books than I wrote down. I remember what I said I hated. Really? You you know, you're a publicist. You talk about books semi-publicly for a living. I think if you're going to say that you don't like a book, you need to have a good reason why. And I always try to be gracious, knowing that just because a book isn't for me doesn't mean it's not for other people. And the book that I chose, and I wouldn't have used the hated word, I would have said not for me. It was Love, Loss, and What We Ate. Yes. I just really was able to finally articulate in the course of reading that book. And I think this plugs right into what I do really like. I like books that are reflective and contemplative. And I love books that look at events of the past with a long lens. Mm -hmm. And I thought the way she wrote was engaging. I didn't know anything about the author's previous life and work. And I think if I had had that connection, that would have given me more perspective and more rootedness in the material. But she was telling stories that were very, very fresh, that that didn't have that long lens. They had a very short view. And if I'm going to read a memoir, which that was, I want that really broad perspective. That makes a lot of sense. When I was thinking about the books that I wanted to recommend, I know how much you love a food memoir at the same time. I do. So there was a book that had initially come to mind, but then I thought about what you said about, you know, long lens and having that real sort of like depth of perspective. And I was like, oh no, I'm gonna have to strike this one off. (laughs) What was it? It's called The Measure of My Powers. Oh, I don't know this. Her name is Jackie Kyalis. It's also a beautiful book. It's one of physically the most beautiful books I've ever seen, but it is a little bit fresher than I think would work for you. I like fresh. I might just not put it on my shelf of honor. And read it 17 times in the next 20 years. The subtitle, something like Love, Misery and Food in Paris or something. Oh, I I like her. I can already tell. She was a a famous designer. She was very successful, but she wasn't happy. And so she sold her business and went to pastry school in Paris. And now she owns a successful bakery in Vancouver, in BC. And she runs uh, food tours in Paris and is just like living her best life. That's two dream jobs in one. Right? Wow. It is. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. That's a side recommendation, not an official one. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm here for the side recommendations. Now I'm reading. We should maybe skip this because this isn't going to help you. I'm not in the middle of a novel. I'm almost done with a new Anne Lamott. It's called Almost Everything, and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm also reading, okay, your Egyptology is my urban planning. I just really am fascinated by what goes into urban design. 
the structures of the world we live in. I love it. So I'm reading, obviously, The High Cost of Free Parking. I think it's actually a textbook. It's like an 800-page paperback, and it's making me read it out loud to my husband. It's so interesting. Why do I love that title so much? (laughs) Is it literally about parking? It is literally about parking. And is it engaging? Because I find topics like that can be, even Egyptology, like, I love it to pieces, but there are some books that just suck all the fun out of these things that you love. I know what you mean. And I was worried about that when I got it, because it's not the kind of book that you can walk into a bookstore and browse before you buy. They don't have this on the shelves. Maybe there's some design school someplace that does, but my neighborhood bookstore would not carry this. I'm pretty nerdy, but I think it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. There are definitely some traffic studies where I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, (laughs) let's move it along. But he's quoting everything I've read because I'm an urban planning junkie. And I mean, what he's doing is talking about things that we know and we see in everyday life. We just don't think about how they got to be that way. And something I've Mm -hmm. really realized just in the past year or two, thinking about my reading life is I love that in the rest of my life as well. Like, I think this is why I'm a Mm rereader. I like to see how things are made. I like to know the story behind the story. I like to know the structure behind what looks effortless when you're reading it. And I like to know the parking regulations that make our cities work the way they do. Because obviously one just naturally follows the other. Of course, seeing behind what is there, it's just, it's a thing that I think about a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons I got into, or at least that I stayed in publishing was I'm like, I just, I really love seeing how books are made and what goes into the writing process and what makes a successful book, a successful book, as opposed to, you know, there are so many books out there published and don't get the love that they deserve. And you kind of want to think about, well, you know, why is that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. You're in the right job. Okay. So based on the high cost of free parking, what should I read next? Okay. I mean, I'm kidding about the free parking part. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I know that there are three categories I wanted to hit. So the first one, I'd really love to give you some really classic can lit. Like this is the stuff that they study in school and they bring out in like 17 new editions. (laughs) You like historical fiction, right? I do. Did you know they say that historical fiction is like a dying genre? My author friend was telling me this this morning. I don't believe it for a second. (laughs) She was saying it wasn't as trendy as it used Mm -hmm. to be. And I didn't know it was trendy. So I guess it's not going to bother me if it's not trendy anymore. Perfect. Would you prefer New Frontiers or World War II? How about New Frontiers? Okay, New Frontiers. It's called Settlers of the Marsh. It's by Frederick Philip Grove. And it was written in 1925. I don't know this one. It is incredibly historical and very unknown, even in Canada. So so this book is about a Swedish immigrant to Canada in the 1920s. And he moves to Manitoba. How much do you know about Canadian geography? I know that's West. Okay. (laughs) This could get ugly really fast. (laughs) Okay. I'll give you a quick lesson. So I haven't taken a Canadian history course in a while, but if I'm remembering correctly... In the 1920s, or in early Canada, basically, the Canadian government, once they'd kind of opened up to those Western provinces, the real, like, interior of the country, which is all prairies, or mostly prairies, I don't want any Western Canadians getting mad at me, (laughs) they would encourage European immigrants to come in and settle those new areas. And this book essentially talks about 
one of those immigrants. His name is Niels. He's moving to Manitoba from Sweden. And this book is all about his Canadian dream, similar to the American dream. He wants a house. He wants a farm. He wants to fill it with children and live this wonderful new life. But very quickly, his dreams are crushed. I'm not going to tell you how, but it is very upsetting. And... The rest of the book is kind of how he throws himself into his work and into building this dream home, even though he's not going to have his dream. How does that sound? Does that sound promising at all? That sounds intriguing. Okay, more intriguing. This book was initially banned. Church officials really campaigned against this book because I don't want to reveal the twist. I'm sorry. Am I selling this at all? (laughs) I really love stories about the seemingly foolish quest that nobody understands that the hero's like bent on and the kind of hopeless romantic idealist thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Just trust me on this. <laughs> it wasn't a book that even I thought I would enjoy, but it was, don't tell my professor, the only book I finished during that course. <laughs> when you said like lyrical, wistful, really sort of engaging writing, it is that. I had a friend in university who took a course that was called like books about nothing. (laughs) I kind of thought about this book because it's a man throwing himself into his work. It's a man. You're watching this man build a house and build a farm. I am always interested in any book that makes a reader say, trust me, just read it. Okay. Another category that I really wanted to hit was Indigenous literature. There's so much to choose from. Indigenous literature is more and more becoming something that people in Canada, readers, really care about. They're magnificent. Honestly, I wish I could send you a whole entire list, but I've narrowed it down to two. So when you talked about Gods in Alabama, you said that you really like like a sensitive topic, but that's that's dealt with really well. Yeah. The history of Indigenous people in Canada is, it's not great. When Canada was born, I guess when North America was born, we know that the Indigenous people were really mistreated. Um, We had a system in place called the residential school system. Basically, you had Indigenous children ripped away from their parents and put in these schools that were run by governments and churches and where there was just the way that they put it in like our textbooks was was kind of like they attempted to beat the Indian out of these kids. There was rampant abuse. In our old textbooks, they always had this picture. It was a before and after picture of a young boy. Like he started out in his traditional clothing and he ended with his haircut, wearing pants, standing really sort of straight and hard. And it's just, it's a very upsetting history. And what a lot of books by Indigenous authors deal with is not just that system, but sort of the legacy of it. The way that trauma can kind of be passed down in families because these kids were eventually sent back home and there was no way for them to really deal with what happened. Um, So the books that I want to, that I'm considering recommending to you, there's two of them, both kind of deal with this, but in different ways. How do you feel about magical realism? I'm good with magical realism. How dark are you willing to go? Ooh, I think I can go pretty dark, but not graphic. That's kind of the deciding factor because one of the books is literally my favorite book of all time. It's always first in mind when I have to recommend things to people. But I also realize that people have different sensitivities. I worked at a call center right out of university and I gave this book to two of my coworkers back to back. It's very, very short. It's like not even 200 pages, I think. And so the first 
coworker who read it was like, I loved it. It's very beautiful. It's very lyrical. The other girl came at me and yelled at me at the beginning of a shift. Yelled? She yelled at me in front of everybody. She's like, why would you make me read this? It was so disturbing. And I was like, I'm sorry. So this is not the one you're recommending to me? No, sadly. What was that book? It's called The Lesser Blessed by Richard Van Camp. Ooh, that's a nice title. It's an incredible book, but it does get very dark. It's also very funny, though. So if anybody is interested in that. But the book I am recommending is Monkey Beach by Eden Robinson. I don't know this one. Just to give you a synopsis, it is about um, a young woman. I think she's about 20. Her name is Lisa Marie, and she is... Heisla is the tribe that she's from, and they live in British Columbia, basically right on the west coast of Canada, right above Washington. One day, her brother goes missing, and he is like the golden boy in their family. She's a little bit like rough and tumble. She gets into fights. She hangs out with the wrong crowd, but she's, she's trying to get her life together. And then they wake up one morning and they get a call that the boat her brother was on has gone missing. And so she gets on a boat and decides to go out by herself and try and find him. Monkey Beach is the name of the place where she thinks she is. So she's heading to Monkey Beach. She's on this boat. And at the same time, she's kind of reflecting on her life and what brought them to that moment. That moment where all of a sudden her brother might be dead and nobody knows how or why or what might have gone wrong. How does that sound? That sounds really interesting. So the magical realism element is that ever since she was young, um, Lisa Marie has seen visions. One of the ones that she sees a lot is like a little, she calls him like a troll man who appears in her bedroom whenever something bad is going to happen. And so she'll go around and she'll try to kind of stop these things. But obviously you can't mess with fate. And it's all about... Aside from this mystery of like what happened to her brother, this is very much a book that's like about family and about community. And there's so much of it that is just so descriptive of the indigenous community that she's living in and just the descriptions of her relationships with her family, like her grandmother and the way that her grandmother passes down that culture and the knowledge of their people down to her and the way she appreciates that is such a huge part of this book. There are trigger warnings. There are some really upsetting scenes, but it's also a very heartwarming book. I really think that you'll enjoy this one. I'm curious to check it out. Okay. We're talking about, you know, settling in the prairies and intergenerational trauma. I wanted to give you something a little lighter, a little bit more fun. I really think considering the other books, you should read Nothing Like Love by Sabrina Ramnanen. I don't know this one either. It came out in 2015. It was her debut novel. 2015 was my reading slump year. I read that and I loved every second of it when I hated everything else. (laughs) So this is a book set in, I want to say the 1970s. Our heroine is a young girl named Vimla. She lives in Toronto at the start of the book. And the book is her thinking back on her time in her home in Trinidad. Most of the book is set in Trinidad in a small village. At the very start of the book, Vimla, who is the golden girl of her village, you know, she works at the school, she gets the best grades, everybody loves her, she's so responsible. And then she's caught in a field holding hands with the priest's son. Oh, scandal. Literally just that. All they're doing is holding hands, but it does just that. It causes a scandal and she loses everything. Everybody's talking about her. She loses her job. She loses her scholarship. And the priest's son is shipped off, made to marry someone else. 
The book isn't just her perspective. It's the perspective of villagers. Hearing about her story, you learn about their lives. And this is a very colorful cast of characters. It's so funny. It's so light. It's so heartwarming. I love this book. It's very fun. You really had me at the, this book got me out of a reading slump. And it's also got a really beautiful cover. That is not the only factor, but that matters to me. It's very bright. It's written to reflect the way that people in Trinidad actually speak. One of my best friends is from Guyana and I got him to read it to me like with an accent. If you know how it's supposed to sound, it's fantastic. Can I borrow your friend? That sounds great. I will get him to call you. (laughs) (laughs) So Anne, which do you think you'll read first? I think I'm going to read the Sabrina book. We just went really quick to a first name basis. But you know, we have a mutual friend. Oh, (laughs) that sounds really cheesy. (laughs) But I am especially intrigued by that one. Although I think they all sound really interesting. I'm just really intrigued by You Didn't Love Anything More in 2015. It's genuinely fabulous. Okay, well, I am so curious and I will let you know how it goes. Are you ready for Turnabout as Fair Play? I'm super ready. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and one great book style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with the full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy to search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything style conversations and events like our 90 minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what should I read next to become a member today. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. All right. Tell me about your first one. The first book that I chose was The Lies of Loch Lamora by Scott Lynch. And I'm so excited to talk about this book. We had one podcast guest who loved this, but I still haven't read it myself. I remember that. And I'm pretty sure I remember like where I was when I heard that because I was reading it when he mentioned it and I was so happy that it came up. What makes this a favorite for you? Growing up, I'd read a lot of fantasy, but as I got older, I found I was reading less and less of it. And so one day I was just kind of like, you know what? I want to get back to that sort of root and what I love. And I decided that I was going to dive into it. And this was right at the beginning of 2017. So my good reading year, like it just had me. It's such a fantastic, exciting, plot driven book. You get into it and those those 500 pages just scream by and it's over before you know it. And you're crying in a subway train. Nobody knows why. (laughs) (laughs) Just hypothetically, I'm sure. Just yeah. Yeah. Hypothetically. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that one come up again because I think it's been almost a year. It's very high fantasy, but not in like a kind of inaccessible way where there are a lot of words and concepts thrown at you. Like I find sometimes, I think you might have said this about N.K. Jemisin, where she kind of drops you in them in the middle of her world and you pick things up as you go along. But you start in the deep end. Yes. Yeah. But there aren't so many super fantastic magical elements where it's hard to understand, but it is a very like well fleshed out world. It's just, it's so good. I saw it on booktube described as a heist, which I loved. And so if you're really into sort of like that excitement and adventure, 
it's a fun book. And I feel like sometimes like readers, when you read a lot of like literary stuff, it's, it's such a nice palate cleanser. Ooh, that's good to hear. That's going to speak to a lot of people. Tell me about another book you love. Uh, Before the Fall by Noah Hawley. What did you love about it? Everything. Oh my God. <laughs> Everything. It was so, the plot moves so quickly and I really love it when like everything in a book makes sense. Now that I work in publishing, I have to give you know, due credit to the editor as well for working with them on this, but like everything has a purpose to it and every page makes sense. And especially when you have books with multiple perspectives, like every perspective adds to your experience as the reader. And I feel like this book really did that super well. And this one has a lot of different perspectives, doesn't it? It really does. It just added more layers to the mystery of, you know, this family and this plane crash. Just all those layers really add up to just make this really perfect ending. Oh my God. Can we talk about the ending really quick? Yeah. I didn't like the ending. I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I know because it had come up in an episode. Can't remember the guest, but he'd loved the ending. And the week that that episode came out, I finished the book and immediately grabbed my phone and went on Instagram and was like, I just finished this book. I love the ending. I think the ending made perfect sense for what the author, like the, the core message of what the author was trying to convey. This was a Saturday night and I woke up the next morning with messages from you and the guests saying, oh, like, so glad you loved it. And it made my day. <laughs> I did like the book. Without going into too much detail, can you tell me why you didn't like the ending? I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Okay. It's probably not too much to say that I thought it felt like the easy way out. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Being a literature student, you're always trying to think about what the authors. <laughs> and can I just say that is that has become a problem for me. It's hard to enjoy books when you're when you're thinking about like plot devices and message, and it scars you after doing that for four years. It, you are not alone in that. Elham, what is another book that you love? The third book that I chose is I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell, which I know you've recommended before. Yes, but I was just recently asked, what's the scariest book you've read this year? And that was my answer. It was really terrifying. What made it so scary to you, aside from the general concept that seemed designed to terrify? It was so real. In the book, she talks about all of her near-death experiences. And what surprised me, like going into it, I've been like, why has this woman died so much? Like, or almost died so often? Why is she getting into so many accidents? Some of these near-death experiences are so everyday. But I also think that without being cheesy, she's very hopeful at the end. In the sense that she's like, every experience is a near-death experience, but you shouldn't stop experiencing things. She talks so much about like the adventures that she had. And like, yes, she almost died, but it was still wonderful. It's very reflective in that sense. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I was just reading about that in one of my current reads, how if you're not mindful of death, then you can't be mindful about the life you're living right now either. Yeah. All right. Your time is now. Tell me about a book that wasn't for you. On your blog right now, you're doing uh, Confess Your Bookish Sins. Can I confess a bookish sin? Absolutely. I absolutely love talking about books that I hate. I don't think it's just you. That's a common pleasure among readers. And I'm so glad that you are ready for it. People talk so often about, you know, not being able to say hate. And the idea that 
maybe a book just isn't for you. So I'm trying to be a bit more mindful. And so instead of saying, hey, I said, I deeply did not enjoy this book. And the book is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Tell me more. Part of the pleasure of choosing it was that so many people love it. I kind of want to pop up and just be like, counterpoint, and make my spiel about what I didn't enjoy. But to be fair, in retrospect, and thinking as often as I do about how much I dislike this book, I think I can see the value in it. It is a beautiful book, and Aaron Morgenstern is a phenomenal writer. And that stood out to me even as I was reading it and deeply not enjoying it. I love how she writes, but I feel like every time I dislike a book, I think back on this one, I've come to realize that literally all the tropes, all of the elements that I don't enjoy are in this one book. And so it's really kind of become a mascot for books that I don't like. So first of all, too many points of view. We were talking before about multiple perspectives. I think it's very difficult to do that well. But what about Before the Fall? I feel like Before the Fall balanced them out really well. In that book, what I remember is that you had the main character and their perspective came up multiple times, but the secondary perspectives only came up once or twice where it didn't detract from that main story. And if they did come up, it really added to that main plot line. I just felt like in the Night Circus, there were so many different perspectives. I just found myself reading a passage or a chapter. The chapters in that book are really short. And some of them were like half a page. So I would end that chapter and kind of think, why did I need that? It bothered me. And I found that other books that I didn't really enjoy, like I didn't enjoy The Nest. And after I finished reading The Nest, I thought of The Night Circus and I was like, this is what they have in common. This is what I'm not enjoying. There's too much going on. It makes it harder for me as the reader to follow that main storyline. I listened to this on audio, so I read it, but I remember things differently when I can't see them and can't see the visual impact of going back and forth between perspectives. So I did not remember that at all. Was it easier to follow in audio? I don't know, because you can only experience a book for the first time once, and I, I've never read it in print, though. I didn't have a hard time following it. There was only one voice, and it was Jim Dale, which didn't hurt. So in a kind of a similar vein, there was also just a lot happening in that book. Like, it jumps back and forth in time, in place, just the different perspectives. It all just piled on. I felt very overloaded. There's a romance. Do you remember the romance? I do. I didn't enjoy that romance. I love, like, I love me a romantic subplot, but I also hate insta-love. <laughs> I hate it so much. I watch a lot of booktube. So when I was stressed in university, that's what I would be doing instead of writing my essays was watching booktube videos. Most of them hate it, but I don't know why writers keep doing it. It's so upsetting for me. You just saw her. You haven't spoken to her yet. What do you mean you're going to break up with your girlfriend to be? That doesn't make any sense. And very often I find myself just like, okay, I'm done. The minute that happens, I'll like close the book and just put it away and pick up another one. Okay. No insta love. You got it. So the last thing that I really didn't enjoy this book, and I felt like this was the biggest thing, but to be fair, I don't blame it on the author. I really came away from it feeling like I had been tricked into reading it. Oh, oh, that's not a good feeling. It's the worst. Similarly, with The Nest, 
I don't blame this on the author. I blame the person that wrote the copy on the dust jacket. Well, you know, that's just written by somebody in marketing, Alham. I know, right? I'm so <laughs> <laughs> Give that person a raise because they did an amazing job. But reading it, what I was expecting going into it was this really epic, magical battle. And it just felt like that was a vehicle for this romance between them instead. And that was so upsetting because I was expecting so much more magic. All right. I have conclusions to draw, but first, what are you reading now? Uh, Right now I'm reading The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Oh yeah. Hype really kills a book for me. If something's been overhyped for me and I go into it with such high expectations and then don't end up enjoying it, it kills me. And I feel like it makes the experience of reading so much worse. I've had The Book Thief on my shelf for like three years at least. And I've been so nervous to pick it up, but I'm more than halfway through and I'm really enjoying it. Okay. No tired tropes. No insta-love. What you don't want is easy. I'm wondering about your multiple perspectives thing. Cause there's one specific book I have in mind that I'm tempted to actually there's two. I'm tempted to push on that a little bit, but I don't know. Mm, okay. Maggie O'Farrell, the story in vignettes before the fall, also intertwining stories, but you're, you're right. There's some perspectives weighed more heavily than others. Lies of mm-hmm. Locke Lamora. I want to try something that's probably going to go badly. No, I, I just, trust you. I just want to try. I want to attempt to recommend Canadian authors. You don't have to. Well, there's so many good books. So it's not a question of like, will you or won't you like this book? I can think of all kinds of wonderful books by Canadian authors that might fit what you're looking for. But but have you read them? That's the part that scares me. It's only recently that I've really sort of committed to reading more Canlit. So okay, now this is my big sigh of relief. Okay, great. Okay. Have you read anything by Sarah Gruen? Like, let's be honest. I want to know if you've read Water for Elephants. I have not, but it is on my bookshelf. Well, Sarah Gruen is a Canadian author. You know, I was actually surprised to find that out. I was too, honestly. Do you know where the title comes from? No, I don't. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but the story is an old man looking back on his life, reflecting on his years in the circus. And this isn't like The Greatest Showman, where he just grew up in the circus. He went to Cornell. He had a respectable career in front of him. His love life is going really, really well. No insta-love, serious relationship here. He's about to graduate from school to be a veterinarian. Everything is looking good for him. But then his parents are killed in a car accident. And so he is in the middle of the Great Depression, and he has no job, no home, He no longer has a family and he ends up hopping a train and it turns out to be a circus train and they can always use a veterinarian in the circus. So thus begins his life in the circus. But when the book opens, he's, I think in his nineties, he is an old man and he is looking back, reflecting on his eventful life. But at the very beginning, he says, people like to talk about how they worked in the circus. And if you really want to know, ask them if they ever carried water for the elephants. And if they say yes or no, but somebody else did, they're full of it because elephants drink way too much water. No, you needed hoses. You needed lakes to water the elephants. I like this for you because it definitely has the same vibe as the night circus, but I think it avoids 
the tropes that turned you off that book. So you have a really like lush lyrical story. It's romantic. There's a love at the heart. There's a great challenge. The endings actually share something in common and you have to suspend your disbelief with both. But I hope that the things that drew you to the one book, but disappointed you, you'll find satisfying in how they play out in Sarah Gruen's. It's a book that I've been meaning to read for a long time, but haven't really gone to and wasn't sure I would get to. But now I'm just, you described that so well. You sold it better than the copy. Well, the copy might be more accurate. <laughs> and I almost cheered when you said serious relationships. <laughs> now, you asked me how I felt about the World Wars. How do you feel about World War One? I... Have not read much about World War One. I. I know more books are coming out about the World Wars, and I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Honestly, this book lacks the excitement of the books on your list because even Maggie O'Farrell. I mean, she's not writing a heist, you know. Mm -hmm. And yet, there is so much breathtaking stuff happening on every other page. I have the advantage here of you recommending three books that you loved to me before we got started. Actually, I got a bonus, so it was like four or five books I loved, and. I wonder if this book might fit more in the veins of those books. It's by an author who grew up in Maryland, but spent summers growing up in Nova Scotia. So she has serious Canadian roots. Can we count that for something? Absolutely. So the book I'm thinking of is by P.S. Duffy, and it's the cartographer of No Man's Land. Is this one you're familiar with? I've never heard of it. Okay. It was her first novel. It came out about five years ago. It's historical fiction, World War I. It opens in 1916. And the reason a lot of readers have really connected with it is it exposes these aspects of this well-known conflict that many, many people, not even Canada's citizens, were unfamiliar with. It goes back and forth between the Canadian home front during World War I and France, where a Canadian son has left his Nova Scotia fishing village, and Duffy is writing about what she knows, to join the war. And the reason that he feels compelled to do this, because he is not the kind of man, by his own description, who wants to go fight in the trenches. But his brother-in-law has disappeared. He's gone missing from the front lines, and nobody knows where he is and what the family has heard sounds disturbing and a little suspicious. And this is the only way this family can see forward. But of course, because this is a novel, something terrible pops up at home as well. This man is in the trenches in World War One, but there's something going on with his son back in Nova Scotia as the village itself is dealing with this disruption in the community. Mm -hmm. What do you think? It sounds really interesting. I haven't read a lot by authors who live in like the Maritimes in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. Newfoundland, those mm -hmm. kind of authors. So I'd really like more of that. And then I was thinking about Emily St. John Mandel because I just love her. Oh. But I don't know that you would love her, but... <gasps> that scares me so much. I've been meaning to read Station Eleven for the longest time. Oh, please read it. Okay. But I'm wondering about um, Sharon Bela, the boat people. <gasps> oh my God, I'm going to cry. What? Tell me. I made this pitch intending to recommend that book to you. Oh, yay. Okay. Tell us about it since I brought it up. It was one of my favorite, favorite books from last year. It just came out. It is this very beautiful, emotional story about a father and son who are Tamil refugees trying to get into Canada. Did you know it was based on a real event? Yes. I think it was 2009 when a boatload of refugees from Sri Lanka showed up on the West coast of Canada and I think were turned away. I loved that book so much. 
I messaged the author, the editor. I emailed her and I told her how much I loved it. I've got to meet Sharon Bala multiple times. She is wonderful and it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I don't think I'm doing it justice. I don't think I'm doing it justice is also the kind of description that really perks my ears up about a book. Right before this, I listened to the episode with Chatty uh-huh. and recommended that in comments. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. That seems like a great one for her. All right. In that case, we're going back to Emily St. John Mandel. Okay. Canadian author. This is her third book, I think. You know about Station Eleven. I've talked about Station Eleven a lot on the podcast. Because of the mystery element that is present in Station Eleven, but to a lesser degree, I really like the Lola Quartet for you. Do you know anything about this? I have no... No clue. I thought um, I thought Station Eleven was her first book. A lot of people did because I think it was really her breakout. And so now, mm-hmm. like my copy of the Lola Quartet says by the author of Station Eleven on the front because I bet they printed a whole bunch more copies now that that one really hit it big. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Lola Quartet. This is a mystery. If you picture twenty-something men and women in black and white in the South Florida heat, wearing trench coats and fedoras, you've got the tone of this novel. What? Does that sound intriguing? Is it like, is it like noir? It has strong noir vibes. So there's this one great exchange in the book I love where Daniel, who's really the, he's, he's the guy you're going to spend the most time with in this novel. He's a newspaper reporter. He wears his trench coat. He wears his fedora. He's hanging out in the newsroom, talking to one of his buddies who watches him and observes like, you know what? I think your deal is that it's not that you want to work at a newspaper per se. It's that you want to work in 1925, which really sums up a lot of the tone of the story. I love that. The Lola Quartet is a high school quartet, four kids, three guys and a girl. They break up after their senior year. Music is not the theme of this book. They talk about it a little bit, but this is not a book about musicians in the professional sense or music, but that's what connected them, their high school jazz quartet experience. So they go their separate ways after high school is over, but 10 years later, they're brought back together in this really interesting and unexpected turn of events that involves the housing collapse, drug dealers, an unexpected pregnancy, and a just really interesting, but not unbelievable coincidences. I mean, if you can read Maggie O'Farrell, yeah, you, you can read this without feeling like you have to massively suspend your disbelief. So it's really evocative. It is set in South Florida and it just makes you feel hot reading it because she describes the heat so palpably. So I wouldn't say that it's exciting because it's not like you're not like clapping your hands like, oh, this is so fun. What happens next? But it is suspenseful and it's a slow build. And she lays down her markers very, very carefully. And there's questions of uh, right and wrong and what do people deserve? And one of the central questions of the book is what would you do for someone you loved? And you could have a very interesting book club discussion about your own opinion and how the answer plays out in this book. I'm so into that. This sounds a lot like Before the Fall, and those were all my favorite parts of it. Before the Fall is the linchpin I'm really pegging this one on, and I'm glad that that sounds appealing. All right, three Canadian authors. Two books that I didn't know about at all. I'm so excited to read them. That is fantastic. And one is already on your shelf. So is that the one that you want to read next, or are you thinking about something else? I might pick it up as soon as I'm finished The Book Thief. 
I cannot wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for talking books with me today and recommending books to me. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really hope that you enjoy a little bit more candlelight in your life. I will keep you posted. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Elham today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next or what Canadian literature I'm missing out on. You can find the comment section in our show notes at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 152. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, I'm talking books with Carrie Sweeney, a busy working mom who knows how to rock the library holds and make the most of her reading life, whether she can grab only 10 minutes of reading time or has the chance to sit down and read a book straight through. I learned some truly next level hacks from Carrie. Here's a sneak peek. Don't worry. It sounds so easy, but don't worry about the opinions of people that are on the internet. I mean, yes, there's real human people behind those those faces, but at the end of the day, we only have so much time to dedicate to reading. And it just makes me so sad to think that someone's spending that precious time reading something that isn't fulfilling them. The more involved I got with the bookish community, I think that's where those self-imposed guilt or expectations came from the best of lists or quantity goals. If I get too caught up in that, it takes the fun out of reading. It feels like work and I don't ever want it to feel like work. I want to be able to read what I want when I want and not feel like I'm beholden to something else. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with the books next Tuesday. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Sorry, this is a quick aside. Can I tell you about my reading hero? Yes. I was on a bus one day, I think going to work, and this man stepped on the bus. He had a book in his hand, and this man, was he was older, maybe in his 50s or 60s even. He was wearing a security guard uniform. He looked very tough. He sat across from me, and like when he opened his book again, I saw the cover, and it was a romance, like a really cheesy harlequin romance kind of book and i was shocked i would never have sort of paired those just based on appearances but i was like you go sir you read whatever you want and you do it without shame i love that i want to be him in terms of my reading like i want to be able to love whatever i love without worrying what people think i wish this was like a candid camera show and i'd been on that bus (laughs) (laughs) 